Hello to all of you. My name is a long Italian name, Luca Cordero di Montezemolo, and I am uh, pleased to be here in Behind the Grid. Despite uh, in the past I prefer to be in front of the grid, but anyway, <laughs> it's better to be in the front <laughs> yes. because in front road is better <laughs> in the grid. That is all true. Hello again, everyone. Tom Clarkson here, welcoming you to another edition of Beyond the Grid, presented by Bose QuietComfort 35.2 wireless headphones. So far in season two, we've had Kimi Raikkonen and David Coulthard on the show. And this week's guest is another bona fide F1 legend. He's a hugely charismatic figure whose career is indelibly linked to Ferrari. In the 70s, he was Enzo Ferrari's right-hand man, and he went on to orchestrate the Scuderia's resurgence and then dominance with Michael Schumacher in the 2000s. I'm talking, of course, about Luca di Montezemolo. To do the interview, I travelled to Rome during the off-season and met Luca in his office, which, bizarrely, had a petrol pump in the corner. But there was also lots of Ferrari-related memorabilia, pictures, photographs, miniature cars, and why not? So much of his career was spent at the team. Montezemolo is now 71 years old and he's as youthful in his outlook as ever and as opinionated as well. So please sit back and enjoy some incredible anecdotes about Enzo Ferrari, Nicky Lauda, Michael Schumacher and Ayrton Senna, as well as some pretty forthright views on the last two superstars he signed, Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel. This is Montezemolo as you might never have heard him before. Well, Luca, welcome to Beyond the Grid. It's fantastic to have you with us. Um, now, it is such a big topic talking to you that I thought it's best to split it up into various topics. So topic number one, if we could start by talking about Enzo Ferrari. Now, how did you, a law graduate, end up working as his assistant in 1973, age 26? It was a funny story because at that time... I was a young uh, uh, Lancia team rally driver. And I've been invited for a very popular Italian radio mission uh, in which it was possible to ask questions uh, live to the guest uh, of this transmission. And I received uh, a question regarding racing. Uh, from a, a young uh, man that told me, uh, well, uh, the races are totally unuseful, are dangerous, uh, racing is a sport for rich people, so a lot of critics. And I was, to be honest, quite tough to answer to this guy, explain that he was saying a lot of bullshit. And Renzo Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari was used to listen at this mission every day with his big radio that he he was used to have on his desk. And uh, so he phoned directly to the, to the transmission and said, who is this guy? This guy, I like him, because uh, he's tough, he, he has answered in a proper way. And he told me, listen, uh, if and when you have opportunity to come to Maranello, I will be very pleased to meet you personally. And then, after a couple of days, I received his uh, book, memory book, and I was used, uh, my, uh, I was, in that time, I was leaving to go to New York, to Columbia University, 
and uh, but uh, my family was in Bologna so after a few months when I came back from uh, New York for a Christmas holiday I went to Maranello to see him and to meet him uh, I was in love with racing I was a, a, a driver of the official Lancia team so with very important uh, rally drivers and at the end of uh, our nice conversation he told me ha, I would like, I will need a person like you, a young guy, to help me because I'm in the prison of the engineering, he said to me. And I said, listen, don't, uh, don't um, say this twice because I'm ready to come as soon as I will finish my university. This was uh, Christmas time, December, something like this. And uh, when uh, in uh, July I finished my university in New York, I made no stop New York, Maranello di Modena, that in 1991 was really a small village. And I started to work with Ferrari. He sent me at my first race as an observator, just as private observator to Bransach. It was fantastic because Ferrari in Bransach was 15 and 16, very, very back in the road, in the grid, with Jack Hicks and Arturo Merzario. And uh, I phoned him on Saturday, I said, listen, very bad. I said, Luca, why don't you, the, the, the team manager was an engineer called Colombo, was an Italian engineer. And he said, tell to Colombo uh, to come back and not to race tomorrow. I don't want that Ferrari makes uh, such a bad uh, image in the race. I said, listen, okay. that was my first, day, so I was very, very shy, just arrived that since uh, 10 days. And uh, then we raced, uh, and uh, Ferrari decided to stop to race for few races. And I remember that was 1973. We came back after a couple of races in which Ferrari was not racing with just one car in uh, end of August in Zandvo, in, um, in uh, Austrian track and only with only one car Arturo Merzario. Then I became his personal assistant for a few months and then he uh, nominated me as a team manager and in 74 we have got Nicky and Clay Regazzoni. What was he like to work for Enzo Ferrari? Big experience, big experience. Uh, first of all you have to know that I am from Bologna. So my culture, uh, my mentality was not so far from uh, his uh, uh, mentality. I mean, particularly with the, his relationship with uh, the people and the area, geographic area around him. was a big experience. From him, I've learned a lot. But if I've, to be very short, I learned mainly two things. I learned a lot, but mainly two. One, to be more tough when you are on top, when you are winning, than when you are lose. Because when you win, maybe you think to be the best, maybe you relax, maybe you think, uh, uh, of course, when you don't win, you are obliged to react to that. But this is, and second, always to look ahead. 
only to look ahead, never to go back, uh, to look back. So to look ahead in terms of technology, to look ahead in terms of organization, to look ahead and say, if you're not competitive, okay, try to look ahead and to try to do your best. So this is what I really learned. And I have to thank him a lot because he has given a lot of power, despite I was 26 years old. And at that time, particularly in Italy, believe me, it's not so easy to get from a person like Enzo Ferrari a such a big responsibility. Was there a compassionate side to him? If yes. you had a problem, could you go and knock on his on, on the door yes. of his office? And, and Yes. There was a human side. I've got uh, a fantastic relation with him on the human point of view. He was my best advisor with the girls, with my fiancé. <laughs> I remember in August when the factory was closed, nobody was there. We have used to go together to have lunch in the hills around Maranello. He has given also a lot of advice for my personal life. And, and also I have to thank him because he has always trust me, trusted me. I remember when I was used to go to the first meeting with Bernie Ecclestone, Colin Checkman, uh, Ken Tyrrell, Teddy Mayer. I was a young boy representing Ferrari. And I didn't like to write. And I came back and I, have, uh, I was used uh, to give uh, uh, the follow-up of the meeting to Enzo Ferrari. And sometimes if complaints, look, but why don't you write in a piece of paper, in a one page, what happened? <laughs> because I didn't like And then one day I received a present. At the time, there was not a mobile phone, but only fixed for a pink, a pink floor, a pink uh, a telephone. Because you say you lose uh, so much of time to talk with this bloody telephone to speak with girls that is giving me the, a, a pink telephone. But a fantastic person. He was um, able to motivate the people, sometimes even too much, to put one against the other. In a, in a strategic way, because to try to take off the maximum for each of, uh, of us. I think everyone listening to this is going to be saying, well, what advice did he give you about the ladies? But I guess that's a different kind of podcast, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, look, what about drivers? Did he idolize his drivers? Did he put them on a pedestal? Well, first of all, the drivers, of course, uh, were important for him, of course, I repeat, of course. But before the driver, there is a car and there is uh, the brand. So he was always very jealous to have uh, in first line the, the car and in second line the driver, not vice versa. Um, as far as I've seen, uh, he was always uh, uh, very close with the drivers, asking a lot after the race, asking opinion, but always able to take his own decisions. In other words, the drivers are the drivers, the technicians are the technicians, the boss, I am the boss clear rules, clear responsibilities, not confusion. With, with Nicky, he identified a very interesting relation 
because Nikki was very intelligent and Nikki was able on Monday uh, in, at that time was the driver were used to spend a lot of time in Maranello so Monday after the race at Tuesday he was able to transfer in um, intelligent way his perceptions Nikki to directly to him and of course my rule was very important because uh, mm, he has given to me for the first time really a big power as a team man maybe I was at the really the first really team manager of Ferrari in charge uh, of the team uh, and um, Forghieri was the technical director at that time um, but Ferrari um, Ferrari himself was always very very curious also to see what is going on in the other teams um, and always uh, curious to ask informations sometimes even in the secret way I indirect to know uh, to have news about the other drivers why do you think you got on so well with him do you think he saw a little bit of himself in you this is a question to be honest that, that I've put some time to myself I think two reasons first of all he was um, quite satisfied uh, to, uh, because I came from a completely different uh, job I was a young uh, student coming from New York um, I was a big fan of, of course of motor racing but not expert in Formula 1 clean mind not friend of one technician on the other and second because uh, he liked very much people with passion and he has seen in me since at the beginning a lot a lot of passion for Ferrari I remember this is something I want to say when we won one of the best day of my life September 1975 Monza we won the race with Clay Regazzoni and can you imagine in Italy in Monza we won three races to go two races to go two races to go the world championship title with Niki Lauda he arrived third in front of our public 12 years before the last victory there was John Surtees with Ferrari and I called him after the race and for the first time he was crying and he said to me only thank you and I understood from his voice that he was crying so Ferrari was a big step because you know Monza 12 years later win the race with one driver and championship it's impossible to do and he was really crying Final question about Enzo is, why didn't he attend the races? Renzo, Enzo was in the prison of his myth, in a certain way. Can you imagine? He has never been in a plane. He has never been in a lift. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt you. He's never been in a plane? Never. He has never been, uh, if you arrive in a building in a lift yeah. he has never been to Rome I remember that in 76 I got married I said please 
come to my marriage. I do, no, no, no. So uh, he was a person, the best natural marketing genius I've seen in my life. He has got marketing his blood, not only technology, marketing. And um, he, uh, he did not uh, attend to the race because, but I, I understand, and a little bit was the same for me. I didn't like to go on Sunday to the race, particularly was when I became chairman and CEO. Different was I was the manager. That was my job, because you have the pressure of the public. You have to answer to your colleagues. You you don't know what is going on because if there is a victory or you don't. He he prefers to be out of the lights, but he's also part of his let me say of his myth. You know, it's the same when he was, if he does an interview with you, he puts very, very dark glass. And then when he's finished, he changes the glass. He has a normal glass. You know, it's to protect himself. It's, it's, uh, it was, uh, again, uh, in the prison of the myth. Now let's look at your time when you were, You call yourself team manager. I thought it was more of a sort of sporting director. Direttore sportivo. Sì, sporting director role. Direttore so, sportivo. Um, what state was the F1 team in when you took over in that role? To be honest, not good. But not because I'm so presuntuous that I changed. It was not good because Ferrari told me. Ferrari told me, I need somebody that is a link between me and the team. But I link somebody, I need somebody that has no specific personal interest to protect. At that time, there was a big dialogue, sometimes even conflict, not only dialogue, between the people that make the, the, the chassis and the engine people. Sometimes oh, we are not competitive before the, because it's the engine, because it's the chassis. And... Um, um, So was it very political, a very political environment? Yes, it was a little bit of political environment because uh, there were some people, one against the other, because uh, to protect uh, the specific, uh, this whole specific area against the other one. I think that I did a good job in the sense, in only one sense. Again, I was not an engineering. I tried to put everybody together to work in a proper way together. Um, at that time, Forghieri uh, was a difficult character, but a very good technician. Sometimes Forghieri wanted to be the driver, uh, the, the, the technicians, uh, the mechanic, everybody. But I tried to calm down Forghieri as a character and take off from him his very good capability. And to put around him people, one in charge of the engine, another one in charge of... Uh, Uh, really the chassis at that time uh, there was no electronic uh, no aid uh, driver's aid so it was really a strong mechanical car brakes uh, engine suspension and um, I think uh, that uh, what I did with Ferrari in the back is to create a good atmosphere giving good responsibility to each and also to try even with the drivers with clay with uh, nikki we were used 
to spend a lot of time even for dinner to talk. Nikki never paid, but anyway, this is another story. Um, so there was really a, a completely different attitude. The drivers were used to live a lot in Maranello, in Modena. And um, this is uh, the main reason why, if you look at the numbers, in 73, uh, for Ferrari this season, I was just arrived, we stopped. We don't race, in, we didn't race in few races. Then 74, we lose the championship in Watkins Glen at the last race. And for me, that race was still, is a still a mysterious race. Of course, Emerson, didn't it? It was Emerson Fittipaldi. But you've talked about Nicky Lauda a bit already. What made you pluck him from BRM at the end of 73? What did you see in him that made you think he was the missing That cop? was a big discussion between me and Ferrari, discussion in a nice way. He was, at that time, he liked a French driver called Jarier. Jarier was uh, doing well. I liked Lauda. And you know who was the final person to convince Ferrari was Clay Regazzoni. Because Clay was the teammate of Nicky in BRM. And I spoke with Clay. I said, please tell to Mr. Ferrari how good is uh, Nicky. And um, at the end, he was convinced of the choice of Lauda. You have to consider that Lauda was very, very young. He did not won not even one race in uh, uh, Formula One. So I understand it was not a, an easy decision. But uh, uh, the final push arrived from uh, Clay. Why Lauda? Because I've seen Lauda as always very good not to make mistakes. He was young, sometime quicker than Clay despite was at the first year in Formula 1, and Clay was quick, quick. Um, so then he arrived, I remember, in Maranello with a Ford Capri. I said, listen, are you crazy? Don't, uh, what the same happened later on with Todd when he arrived at my home with the Mercedes. But anyway, uh, he came and said, listen, the, the old man is, uh, put a lot of attention to the cars. And uh, since at the beginning, he liked very much this intelligent, silent uh, Austrian driver. How about your own personal relationship with the drivers back then? Because you were all the same age. Um, was it difficult to control them? Was it a friendship? Just, mm. just describe what it was, was like. It was a mix, because with Nikki, I was really friend. Nikki, I... I spoke with him a few days ago, despite he's not well. It's, for him, it's very difficult to speak. Um, Clay was like, is a, a guy born in Switzerland, but for me it was a mistake because I think he was born in Naples or in the south of Italy. Uh, very, very passionate. Yes, yeah. very passionate, yeah. very generous. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes too much in the race because he was not, sometimes he was not able to control the race. He was pushing from um, was Sometimes was not so easy, particularly in second half of uh, the, uh, the career of the two, because at the end, uh, Clay was a little bit jealous of this young driver that was sometimes better than him, despite he was the guy that convinced Ferrari to, uh, to hire him. 
um, but uh, normally speaking uh, was uh, sometime we have a discussion like in Monte Carlo when, when uh, the, the clay was in front of Nicky and it was clear that Nicky was quicker so at the time it was impossible to speak at the phone so I was a little bit upset but uh, normally speaking uh, very very good in the 74 uh, clay was in condition to win the championship he lose at the last race and from 75 on Nikki was definitely quicker and uh, was uh, able to win in 75 as you remember he lose for half uh, point in 76 and then he won again in 77 so it means that from 74 on um, started like then in 2000 with Michael a good era for Ferrari. Are there, are there similarities between the impact that Lauda had on the team and yes. the impact that Schumacher had? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I have to tell you something, particularly Nikki, because uh, you know Michael, of course, but at the Michael age, there is also help of. Uh, um, computers to control the car to improve the car so no question the impact of Michael was fantastic but Nick was even more because his capability if, uh, cap if um, sensibility I remember that one day in Maranello in, uh, in Fiorano I said we make a, a joke to, to Nicky we, we have changed something in the front of the real don't remember suspension and he went out of the pits and they said, now you do, please, uh, three laps without stop. He made one lap, he came back and said, listen, there is something in the car that is different, even small details. So his sensibility here was very, very strong. And they tell you something interesting. Um, I was used to be, of, of course, in the Muretto, how you say, in the, in, to do the signals uh, to the drivers at that time. Again, no possibility to, to speak. And in Zandvoort, in the middle of the race, rain arrived so i came out come back come back to change the tires clay came back immediately nikki no one lap two laps and was small rain finally came back but i was going up and down from the pits to the front road and why i was doing this ronnie peterson coming out from the i didn't see him so he hurted me in a very bad way i broke my leg here, terrible, and uh, at the end I was in the pits for half race because I was little bit. Then I, I went to the hospital, and Nikki didn't see me for half race doing signals. It was very familiar. It was not a question of numbers, uh, signals. It was also the face, the attitude. The end. Uh, listen, you left me alone a half of the race. I said, fuck off. I said, I was, for me, it was even difficult to speak because I was paying a lot. But was a, there was a fantastic relation, and that was 1975. Now we are in 2018, and despite he's uh, the, one of the boss of uh, uh, when he was in Ferrari, uh, despite I think that I'm still there, but uh, uh, of, of Mercedes is a fantastic uh, relationship with him. So you were obviously at the Nurburgring in 76. No. No. 
I arrived in the night, but I, I, I was not there because at that time I made a half time in Ferrari, half time in Fiat already. Daniele Audetto was there, but I spoke with the doctor. So how tough was that for you, given how close you were with Nicky? And, and Terrible. And I, I will never forget in my life, the doctor told me, Mr. Montezemolo is not a problem of the fire. The fire will give me a lot of troubles in terms of aesthetic, in terms of... The problem is inside, because he took in his uh, body a lot of uh, uh, bad uh, things. In his lungs? In his lungs. Mm -hmm. The problem is how can he react without sleep and to, uh, to, to remain alive, to remain. And that later on, Nicky told me that he heard this voice. And he said, I have to resist, I have... And he was so strong to react. Because everybody thought that uh, Nicky was uh, in a dangerous moment for his life, for the fire. The problem was his lungs and the, 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 what uh, there is inside his lungs. Mm -hmm. But he was fantastic because I went to Hof, his home in Austria. And he was very, very bad after the crash, very, very weak. And then he came back after two months in Monza. And he was not so happy to see that we have already substituted him with Carlos Reutemann. Despite we didn't know how long he was, first of all, we didn't know if he was in condition to survive, to race again and when. So uh, we decided to hire Carlos, fantastic driver in, in qualifying, not as good in race. And uh, we raced in Monza with Reutemann, with Nicky, and with Clay. And I remember that. Um, when Nicky was uh, putting the helmet in his head with the overall, the, the bandages, yeah, mm. it was flood, uh, um, blood, blood, blood coming out mm. because uh, he has got not, uh, his face was not ready to put a helmet, but he was very, very strong. And Enzo Ferrari entered the the, um, the Italian newspaper say everybody has to go to Monza to uh, to support Nicky. And then so Ferrari said, yes, I'm right, but nobody said that Nicky drives a Ferrari. So there is also Ferrari, not only Nicky Lauda, just to let you know who is, who was Ferrari, his personality, despite, it, despite he liked Lauda very much. So, of course, it was a, a wonderful comeback for him at Monza. What was your reaction in Fuji at the end of the year when he, when he effectively parked a healthy car, didn't he, in in the rain? There? Yes, he he put in a healthy car. But to be honest, you can you have to understand the driver that was four close to die that one you expect four months before, not four years before, four months before. The race was in terrible conditions. To be honest. We discuss in the last years a lot of thanks God that the, the safety made, the, the, the Formula One has made a huge, huge improvement in the safety. Because in my career, 
I've seen, particularly in the 70s, a lot of drivers died that today was impossible to do this. Guardrail, fire, uh, trucks, terrible trucks, uh, uh, cars not strong enough. I've seen, I can do, unfortunately, a big list of names of fantastic uh, young boys and drivers that died. And, um, uh, you know, that race was really in a terrible conditions. Nicky was, first of all, always in his career intelligent, uh, uh, put attention to, uh, to improve uh, the safety. And I think he was uh, also weak, not so strong uh, physically, because uh, to come back in Monza, he made a big, big, big effort psychologically and physically. He was very skinny, was very, very weak. So I understood. But if we look back, he lose, he, he lose the championship for half point. So he was in condition without the crash to win 75, 76, 77 in a road. So you understood why he parked the car? Yes. What did Mr. Ferrari say? He was not against Okay. I don't want to say that he was happy, but he was not against. He understood the psychology situation, and he also, I remember, he said, uh, these conditions is not condition for Formula One. Okay. So, end of 77, Yeah. Um, you stopped day-to-day racing. Um, why did you do that? Because in my life, I... I always uh, try to achieve a new challenge. If you consider that I've been a crazy guy to start from a white page and to establish the first private high-speed train in Europe, starting from a white page, uh, I received an offer from Fiat. I think uh, that Nicky was at the end of his career of, with Ferrari. He wanted to change. Uh, he received offers from Parma to change. Sometimes it's necessary to have new motivations. He was not super, super happy of uh, the fact that I left Ferrari. So after a few months, he's also the, we were very close to each other. So it was at the end of a very, of a fantastic uh, period, but that's it. And I went to, I went to Fiat. I went to work uh, with Fiat, but I have been, I remain in the Ferrari board for a few years because Enzo Ferrari asked to Fiat uh, to give me the possibility to remain in the board. Did you miss racing? A lot. <laughs> what, what aspect of racing? The, the adrenaline or the... I, I missed uh, the organization, what there is behind the organization the motivation of the drivers, the choice of the drivers, uh, they, they find the best people in the best position in the team. This is what I really like very much. And did you, we, did, did you find a way of, of replacing those roles within Fiat? I mean, I know you, you had various roles, obviously. It wasn't just one company within Fiat, was it? Did you... Fiat, um, listen, Ferrari, after my family was, still is, and will be the most important uh, uh, element of my life. Number one, the family. Because in two different moments, I've been 
close to very close to 30 years. I won 19 world championship titles, 19 between manufacturers, drivers, 70 when I was uh, I was a team manager and I was chairman and CEO with Nikki, with uh, Michael, with Kimi. Um, so you can imagine Ferrari. Uh, for me, Fiat was something different. With Ferrari, Ferrari is passion, Ferrari is emotion, Ferrari, I have to thank God because every single day in which I entering in my office, I was happy and motivated. This is unusual. Normally when you enter in early morning in the, in the <laughs> office, you are sick. <laughs> So look, you leave in 77 and it was the 15th of November 1991 that you are then appointed, what was it, president and CEO. Were you tempted to try and come back earlier than that after Mr. Ferrari died in 1988? Uh, at that moment, I was very busy. I was uh, uh, called to be the general director of the organization of Italia 90, the Soccer World Cup. Very interesting job, you know, uh, to organize a soccer work, uh, uh, World Cup in Italy is like uh, to organize a pasta uh, factory because everybody was... So it was a very good experience. But you couldn't do both? No. No, but at that time I was out of the, t of the Fiat uh, uh, world. Ferrari was owned by Fiat. So I left also Fiat. I was busy in something completely different. Then uh, Ferrari was uh, doing bad because um, Fiat made a big mistake after Ferrari died to think that you can substitute people expert in Formula One with very good technicians coming from a road car. They are two completely different. It's like basket and soccer. There is maybe a ball in the, together, but there are two words. And they made big mistakes. And both in the commercial and in racing. And to be honest, when I arrived <clears throat> in Ferrari, the situation was uh, quite uh, difficult, quite, uh, quite difficult. Well, what state was the company in? Because, am I right, weren't there lots of 348s in the parking lot that they couldn't sell on a, on a yes. road car point of view? And of yes. course, things weren't so good in Formula One. For me, it was a big shock when uh, we have been obliged to uh, do what in Italy we call... Cassa Integrazione. Cassa Integrazione means that you are a worker. The state will pay for a few months uh, to you the salary because the, you, there is no possibility that you can uh, will continue to work for, for, for the company. So Ferrari was, was something in the middle between fire and uh, this is... And I remember the New, New York Times made the title this Ferrari in crisis. I, this is what the road cars. And then we won our last uh, um, uh, championship title in 1975 with uh, Jody Schechter. 79. 79, I'm sorry. Yeah, 79 yeah. with Jody Schechter. And uh, we are talking about uh, 92, 91, 92, 93. For me... Some nights I, I was was difficult for me to sleep because really the situation was very, very difficult. And then also that was not a very good moment in the world for economic, for road cars, business, so it was, was, was difficult. So how did you go about assembling a winning team? 
What was the first thing you feel you had to do? I tried, first of all, to understand why we don't win. Because we have money. At the end of the day, we have a big name. We have tradition. And I try, believe me, in a very, very professional, deep way to do an analysis. And at the end of my analysis, I understood that we have got a lack of know-how in some areas. In other words, when I came back to Ferrari in 1991, Formula One was a completely different world since I left in 77. Electronic, uh, chassis in uh, carbon uh, fiber, um, completely different. And Ferrari culture, Ferrari know-how was basically mechanical, gearbox, engine, uh, braking. So we've got the electronic suspension, electronic was crucial, aerodynamic was crucial. And we were far away for the best aerodynamic t um, tunnel. Uh, so I said, we, I have to hire people to maintain the people that has got a good know-how in the mechanical area, because engine was still very good, but we have to improve. And I was in big crisis when Harvey Postelweight, in my first year in Ferrari, that was on Thursday in Monaco, um, that, that was, I'm sorry, on Friday in Monaco, you know that in Monaco on Friday, he came to me and said, listen, Mr. President, I'm not in condition to design the Cairop next year. Oh. But also, when I arrived in Ferrari, first day, I put around the table the people of the Formula One team and said, who is the chief designer? And there were not one. There are three, four. I mean, so who is... So for me, there were three uh, goals, three priorities. One is to understand exactly where are so weak and to find the right people to put in this area. Second, to identify uh, where we are poor in terms of facilities, wind tunnel is one between the other. And third, to find the person and put them in clear rule, with clear responsibilities, with clear goals. So if you are, I don't know, uh, the guy in charge of aerodynamic, it's clear your rule. And it was very, very tough at the beginning. My first decision is to do a collaboration with Nikki as a consultant because Nikki was always anyway around. First of all, he finished his career in McLaren a few years uh, before, not uh, 20 years before. So he was more close than Formula One than me. And then uh, I decided to hire one man uh, uh, to, first of all, even in the road cars, the, the colors, the interiors has been decided not by the marketing people, but by the engineering. They don't know that it's something completely different. And the 348, I remember, I've given to Nikki to, to test this car. And he told me, look, there is a, a, a big noisy, but we are still there. So, and I, and I made, the, and I made, and I said to my people, 
Can you please describe me to the people around the table the 348? Oh, it's a very good car. I said, listen, you are telling a lot of bullshit. I own this car and uh, this is not a Ferrari. Then we have been the first to introduce the automatic gearbox in the cars. We're the first in the world, first in the world. And this was thanks to the experience of Formula One. Then we made the 355. Then we made, uh, to be, when, then we made again the first Ferrari, the 475 with the engine in the front. Because at that time there was Testarossa and 348, more or less the same, very difficult to enter, very difficult. So we improved. But if I have to give a merit to me, is to find around me person far better than me. Because Todd made a very good job, despite at the beginning, he was also an expert of Formula One, because he came from Rally and from uh, prototype with Peugeot in uh, 24 hours of Le Mans, but very good mind of organization. Then we have hired uh, Ross, Rory, we have got a very good guy growing up in Ferrari Martinelli for the engine. And then, you know, step by step. But I always, then we have introduced a, a, a new wind tunnel, step by step. And my biggest satisfaction, to be honest with you, one when we arrived second with Alesi in Monza, that was 1994 or uh, or when we won with Alesi uh, Canada Grand Prix and with Gerhard, the famous German Grand Prix in, uh, in front of Michael, I understood that finally we were, you know, going back. And when Michael arrived, was the right moment to do it. Can I just take you back to Todd in particular, Jean, yeah. Jean Todd? What was it about him in particular that made you think he was the right man for the job? First of all, Eccleston told me, Luca, why don't you think of a person like Todd that has won in every uh, activity? He won in the rallies with, uh, with uh, Citroën. Uh, he won in, uh, with Peugeot in, um, in um, prototype. Were you uncomfortable with hiring someone who wasn't Italian? The, and that was, your question is very good. Um, that was a problem at the beginning, in my mind. Then I said, listen, uh, I took, uh, I spoke with some people, Hannu Mikola, that is a Finnish driver, I spoke uh, with some friends. I took the lesson of Ferrari, that without saying anything, he was pick up the telephone and call somebody to ask information in a very secret and confidential way to understand this guy. What I like it of Todd is that he has been with Peugeot Group for many years. This for me was the crucial final motivation to call him for a meeting with him because it means that he's, uh, he has a fidelity with the team, with the, not that one year is with Lotus, after three years is with McLaren. This I don't like as a chief. And then I asked him, uh, in touch with him, he came to see me in my home, and he arrived with the Mercedes. And I remember my son, that was very young, Papa, there is a man in Mercedes. And this guy, one of the two, or is an idiot, or is a presumptuous, because he comes to my home with the Mercedes. But, but I have to thank Todd, because uh, Todd uh, has received a lot from Ferrari. 
because for sure when Tom left Ferrari and was in condition to become chairman of FIA was thank to Ferrari, but he has given a lot to Ferrari and he has done a very good job, always very loyal with me, always with a fantastic personal relation despite different rules. I was used to talk with him maybe six times per day, at least at the telephone, always, even too much. And uh, he made a very good job. So whose idea was it to go for Michael Schumacher? Um, was a, a commune idea, it's, it's mm -hmm. difficult to say. Of course, I take the decision. So basically what my decision, if Todd, uh, Todd was not in the position to take the final decision, but Todd was the first supporter of the idea of Schumacher. To be honest, I think that was a common idea because it was clear at that moment that Schumacher was the best of the field. And that was the right moment. was not a big alternative Schumacher. It was not, was not like Lauda and Jarier at that time. The best, sorry, the best one, in my opinion, at that time, together with Michael, was, um, was Hakkinen. But Hakkinen was heavily engaged at that time with McLaren. So was not, uh, for us, Schumacher was the best. How important was Michael? Would you have been as successful with a different driver? When the, when the car became... I don't became, think so. No. Desp uh, I, don't, uh, I don't think so. I'm convinced that even if in uh, two in 22 uh, uh, or two or three when we won in uh, Manicur, I don't know, yeah. in, uh, in May, I think the car was so good that maybe it was possible to win with this car, uh, that even somebody else. Will. But to achieve this point, to arrive at this point, Michael was crucial. So my answer is without Michael, it was very difficult to, to achieve this. Uh, didn't you have a conversation with Senna? Yes. Could you just tell us he a little bit about up. that? How close did you get? Unfortunately, I, I, I remember very, very well. Um, I have invited him to join my home on Wednesday in Bologna. You have to consider my home is uh, half an hour by car far from Imola. 40 minutes. He came for... Can I quickly ask you, what year are we talking now? Unfortunately, 2004. That was no. the week. 1994. I spoke with him before. See, yes, 1999. I spoke with him before, and I told also uh, Todd to talk with him. But at that time, we have just assigned a contract with Gerard to have Jean Alizy and Gerard Berger. Incidentally, Gerard is a big friend of mine, big also now he's a gentleman he made i think he was one of the drivers of the highest number of racing with ferrari fantastic person in the race and outside the race he had a terrible crash in imola in the fire terrible anyway so we were um, at that time were not possible to hire Senna. and todd um, uh, have got a meeting with senna in uh, Lake of uh, in the uh, before a race of Monza in the two uh, in in 1993, if I remember correctly, in Villa d'Este. 
but we were uh, close, uh, we have signed the dinner. Then, uh, in that time, there was a big discussion on the driver aid, electronic, and I was against, because I think that this means to equalize a lot the drivers. We were weak in the electronic, so I was against. And Senna made an official declaration, said Ferrari or Mr. Montezemolo is right, because this is the way every driver is so easy to drive a Formula One that you cannot see the... Because he thinks himself is by far the best. So he said, I don't like that the young driver... Okay. To make the story shorter, he came to my home on Wednesday. So this is the Wednesday before Emelon 1994. Yes. After we have dinner, seven o'clock, and then he drove to uh, Imola. And I said, okay, listen, I want to find a way to... Uh, at the end of the season to find the, the way that you he was he said listen I signed for Williams but if I've got the opportunity to come to Ferrari I was more happy to come to Ferrari than go to so he told me okay I'm ready to see the way uh, if there are uh, legal uh, possibility to come to you or at the end of the uh, of the season we are talking We were there, I think it's May, something like this. Or one season later. But he told me, I want to close my career, I want to win with Ferrari. And he told me, whenever I go in the airports, I arrive, everybody makes a... But as soon as I arrive, the Ferrari driving in the red jacket, <laughs> we were joking. He said, I have to make congratulations to you because you have been the only one to fight against electronic aids, by, to, to have not any more Formula One. But he said, like, uh, when uh, you land with the plane, you push a button, there is a, the automatic, is too much. We went too far. And unfortunately, then he went to Imola, uh, the, the crash on, on, on Sunday, or, or whatever it was. Sunday. And um, so that was the only contact with, uh, with, uh, with Senna. How did you find him? Did you intelligent, mm -hmm. super quick in qualifying? Mm -hmm. Just just over dinner that Wednesday, did you? Is he? Did he speak passionately about Ferrari? Is he this? Was he the sort of guy that would ask you about your family? About you mean in in our conversation? Uh, yes, just when you yes when you yes. Uh, also because you know, um, I know Brazil. Uh, I was. Uh, he was not in love with soccer. We discussed a lot about Portugal, where he was used to live. Normally, the drivers, even at that time, were used to live in Monte Carlo. He he, he lived in Algarve. Uh, intelligent guy. Intelligent guy. To be honest, very not far from Michael and Nicky in terms of attention, focalization on details of the of the cars formula one intelligent even talking about rules uh, first class mm -hmm. so um schumacher it was you had this wonderful success with schumacher then um fernando alonso comes to the team um well, then we won with, with well of course kimi. with kimi sorry kimi with was kimi. Strong. kimi was strong how, how did you find kimi was strong and uh, I think that a lot of people has been surprised to see that, that the first year of Ferrari without Michael, we were in condition to win with Kimi the championship. And uh, don't forget uh, that uh, we have a, such a competitive car that Massa, the year before, won 
you know what happened. Mm. I think was something unique in the history of Formula One mm. because mm. he crossed the line as a world championship after a few seconds. So Kimi was but Kimi good. a very different character to Schumacher, oh, obviously. It's a two, yeah. two different words. Yeah. Despite he's a very honest guy, he was he's um, he's a guy that uh, I don't know. I don't no no. I I don't see him already for few years I sent some messages to him but mm. not uh, directly face to face uh, Kimi strong Kimi was more like a natural talent Kimi was not uh, the person that works day and night to develop a car Kimi is not the person to spend hours to discuss with the technician for some details but even in McLaren he loses races a championship mainly for reliability uh, uh, very good were you very pleased for him I, I imagine when he won in Austin yes to be honest yes. in a Ferrari to be again. honest yes for him yeah. because he desired he was is uh, a person that um, it's very difficult to find something uh, that uh, you can criticize him because honest dedicated, correct, uh, perfect for me, for me. Of course, uh, of course, uh, uh, in my opinion, in every sport, uh, there are uh, the super driver, and for sure, uh, Kimi is a super driver, and, these, and there are the few extra beat. Michael is an extra beat. Uh, for me, Alonso is an extra bit in terms of driver. He was... Right, let's talk about Alonso. So, you know, you've had so much experience with drivers over the years. Why didn't it happen with him? Three reasons. Number one, to be honest, uh, he was unlucky to be in Ferrari where when um, Red Bull was in the same or very close to be as Ferrari at the beginning in the 2000. For sure, far best car. You see that the driver like Weber, that is a good driver, but down the extra bit, was able to win races and so on. So, number one. Second, two, is, uh, I don't like, but I have to say this, uh, he was unlucky because he lose the championship in Brazil, for instance, in 2012, I think, when um, Sebastian, at the first lap, crashed with Senna. Senna stopped, went nothing, and, and Alonso was there. Or when the team made a big mistake in uh, 2010, when was uh, enough to arrive fourth and we lose the championship of the last race. So assuming that one of the two was good, he won the championship a few years ago because 2012 is uh, not so, so many years ago, uh, six years ago. Third, his character. The biggest difference between Michael, I, I put also Nicky because Nicky for me with Michael has been <laughs> the two key drivers my career. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was Alonso, not Alonso Ferrari. Uh, when he win 
is happy when he doesn't win, is the problem of the team, is, is unhappy. In other words, he's less close, less close to the team than Michael and then uh, Nicky. And um, particularly in the difficult moment, because to be close to the team in the good moment is easy. What is important is when you have to do have to win. Do you think the outcome would have been any different had Lauda or Schumacher been driving for Ferrari 2010 to 2014? In terms of performance, he was very good. For me, Alonso is with uh, uh, Hamilton and Vettel the best driver and in the race is very close to Michael. I think Alonso in the race is a fantastic driver, was and is. Um, to be honest, uh, uh, he uh, lost the championship not for uh, his mistakes. Mm -hmm. He was also unlucky in Spa when, you know, um, I think that um, in normal conditions, without the mistakes of the team in 2004, in 2010, in, with, with the tactic, and without Vettel, very, very lucky in the last race, because Senna stopped Vettel, nothing at all. Mm. If he, if he won one race, one championship, today we're talking about something different. We talk that Alonso, despite in many years he haven't got the best car, he was able to win the championship. But Alonso is very, very strong. Has Vettel had the impact on the team that you were expecting? Listen, I've hired Vettel. Mm. He uh, he's a very nice guy. He came mm. with Domenicali to my home with a nice box of Swiss chocolate. Swiss uh, chocolates. Yes, because he Do you know, have, does he did he know that you like Swiss chocolate? No, but he was trying because I like but we, he didn't know. Very well educated. Um I liked him very much as a person. He made a good analysis of his position of that year in uh, Red Bull. He was very happy to have the possibility to come to Ferrari and I told him that Michael was his first support. Michael told me when he got the axe, when he was not in condition to race with us in August, say, why don't you hire Vettel for me? He's the best. He's young, but he will be the best. I said, we have already signed with Alonso. And to be honest, I think that at that time, maybe it was a little bit too early to put Vettel on Ferrari because, you know, the pressure on Ferrari. Anyway, um, I've hired Vettel. I think that Vettel is a very good driver. Of course, he won championship with by far the best car, but he won, not Weber, so he won. I cannot see from outside because unfortunately he arrived in Maranello in November. I left in October. So despite I have hired him, I never see him in Maranello. My feeling, but I want to repeat, feeling from outside, and from outside sometimes you are wrong. I don't like when people talk from outside because they don't know anything inside. My feeling that he's a guy uh, 
quick. He's a guy, he's a nice person. He's a guy that loves Ferrari. He's a guy that he knows the responsibility. But I think that maybe he doesn't have the strength sometime, because I've never had not even one meeting with him, sometime to do like this. This is my feeling from outside. Having said that, I think that he's a patrimonium for Ferrari, that uh, uh, it's possible to do some mistakes. Michael made mistake at the beginning, don't forget it. Um, is uh, uh, that to motivate, to protect him, to, uh, uh, to give uh, to him all the confidence that the team is with him. Uh, from outside, uh, I don't like to make uh, statements, but my feeling at this, he needs more support from the team. This is my feeling. Maybe I'm wrong. So if you were still there, how would you do that? How would you ensure that he got more support? First of all, talking a deep way with him, understand what he's looking for, what he needs, what he doesn't like, what he thinks uh, he needs uh, to uh, be in the better conditions. I mean, in terms of people, in terms of uh, how to work, in terms of uh, how to prepare the race, in terms 360 degrees. Second, uh, ask him to be more close to, to the team and to be even more ready to come in my home, to knock the door and enter, to be more proactive, to ask. And the third, uh, to tell to the team manager to give him uh, 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 outside the Maranello in the, in the race weekend, maximum public support. Because when uh, sometime I... Uh, here I see declaration with some critics to the team. This for me is a big mistake. Uh, in other words, when you are in Maranello in a closed room, you have to speak. Eh? But uh, when you are, uh, we, we win and we lose all together. And I think if a, a driver makes some mistakes, as can happen, sometimes it's because or he's under pressure or he doesn't feel around him the, 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 all the, the support or is also unlucky because last year what happened in Singapore, you can discuss, for me it's not a mistake because he, he tries to go in the lead in a race in which if you are not in the lead, it's very... So sometimes we ask mistakes, something that mm. we have to be very careful to see mm. mistakes. Sometimes are mistakes. Mm. What is, I think, Vettel sometimes is not cold enough in some, in some moments. Mm. But, you know, believe me, I emphasize mm. again, I've been in Ferrari as a, with big responsibility for more than 25 years. I don't like when the people talk from the tribune. Uh, mm. They don't know a lot of details that mm. are important. So this mm. is the reason why I think feeling I don't know. Maybe mm. I'm wrong. But, but when you say more support, you mean from the team manager? I don't. I don't know. I think uh, that um, I think uh, that um, Vettel uh, is for sure one of the three best drivers that are on the field. No question about it. Ferrari this year has been, in some races, more competitive than Mercedes, in my opinion. And I have to say, this year for Mercedes was the most difficult victory 
since they've been here. They've been in Formula One. Um, I think that, 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 that the team has done a very good car, very good progress. So if I have to say my opinion, I think uh, that uh, or there is too much pressure, and sometimes this can happen, too much pressure, or there is something to improve in the team, even in how to, you handle the driver. Because if we look 2015, 16, 17, 18, I think particularly in the last two years was possible to win the championship. And if we, as losing as we have the, the championship, two, three races to go, not in the second half of the last race, like in 2008 or like in Herez in the 77, like in, the, in 2010 or, or 12, you have to ask why. Because it's not a question of the car. This year, in few races, I don't want to say many, but in few races, even in the second half of the season, not only in the first half, in my opinion, uh, Ferrari was particularly in the race, better than Mercedes. Mm. Wow. Well, look, thank you for your time. It's been such a great chat. I've got two more questions, three more questions, actually. One is, how important is Formula One to Ferrari? Crucial. Ferrari, without Formula One, will be a very nice, a very uh, a fantastic brand, but uh, not unique. Ferrari is unique thanks to, Ferrari, thanks to Formula One and is unique also, and I hope it will remain unique, thanks also to the, the, the exclusivity. So to sell very low number of cars. Second question, how important is Ferrari to Formula One? Crucial, because uh, a lot of teams has won, has lost, has been, has left. Ferrari is there since the first race, red, present, in the good, in the bad moment. Be careful, because Formula One without Ferrari will be, of course, Formula One, but with far less charm and uh, credibility. Okay. And look, and just final question from me is, you've achieved so much with this team. You're so indelibly linked to Ferrari. What is your proudest achievement at the team? You mean that I've what, achieved in my career? No, it just what are you most proud of? Your when uh, I left Ferrari, I've been invited from uh, Mr. Felisa that uh, I have appointed. When I came chairman of Fiat, I was obliged to leave the position of CEO because it was not possible to be in the same position, to be the controller and the person that has been. So I left to Felisa. Felisa told me, Avvocato, uh, tomorrow is your last day here. Uh, we have organized a small uh, toast with, uh, okay, with, so I went, and then uh, instead of going in the in a big room, we went in the in the forum, and I entered, and there were all the workers, many of them with the red, uh, because it was five o'clock, they came out from the factory, and many of them, women and men, were crying, 
and uh, you know, and there was uh, a very popular song. I was surprised because I've seen uh, 2,000 people. And uh, the song would say, Una lunga storia d'amore, a long uh, story, uh, amore, come si dice? L- love story. So, uh, a long story. And they would say uh, that uh, uh, it's impossible that uh, this story will finish even when he will finish. And it was fantastic. The people was crying. If I think again, I cry now. So that was because normally when a person after so many years leaves, sometimes, they, oh, finally, maybe there is somebody. Else. So that for me was the best moment in my long career. I can answer that in 75 when we won. I can answer when we won in 2000 after 22 years. But this day was the most last day was Ferrari for me was the... The, because is uh, how can I say a concentration of many many years of works that you leave a good image that uh, you leave uh, a, um, a good uh, that the people has uh, approved what you have done that the people miss you this for me was the, for sure the best moment well, Luca we'll leave it there we, I, feel, I feel we could talk forever but yes, thank you so me. much it's, it's been thank fantastic you very much. Thank, thank you, you. All of the Beyond the Grid interviews are a pleasure to do, but this one I found to be particularly enjoyable. Ferrari has always been a mysterious team and its leaders have had an aura around them. So to sit down with Montezemolo for more than an hour was enlightening and enjoyable and he provided incredible insight into this often impenetrable team. So thank you, Luca, for your time. It was a pleasure to chat to you. Well, that's it for another episode, but please come back next week when we'll have another fabulous guest for you. And the best way to ensure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to Beyond the Grid. That way, we'll be waiting for you every Wednesday when a new episode drops. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and tons of other podcast platforms. Just search for Beyond the Grid and you'll find us, along with some lovely reviews, which we thank you for very much. Speaking of reviews, we love your feedback. Jonathan Townend got in touch via Twitter recently using the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid to say, great interview with DC, brilliant listen while taking Tess, the dog, for her evening walk. Thanks for that, Jonathan. And if you want to reach out, you can drop me a line on Twitter at TomClarksonF1. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.